chapters 1, uh, verses 10 through chapters 2, verses 1. Isaiah 1, 10 through 2, 1. This is the word of the Lord. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where he said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said of them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for, the great, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brother, your brothers, you are my people. Say to your sisters, you have received mercy. Through the course of our life, I think we will all find that there are times where we have to answer for things that we have done. When I was in sixth grade... Uh, I was in orchestra, and orchestra always met during the lunch period, but the orchestra teacher um, traveled from all the schools, from the elementary school up to the high school, so there were times when he could not be there that he would, we would just go to lunch for three periods. And so here you have a sixth grader at eighth grade lunch, and he finds the eighth graders uh, throwing rocks at a pecan tree to knock pecans down. And I think, well, I want to be cool like these eighth graders, right? So I pick up the biggest rock I can find. I throw it right at the tree. It hits dead center in the stump of the tree, the the trunk of the tree, and then proceeds to fall through a teacher's window of their car. Everyone scatters. I scatter, not knowing what to do. I'm terrified of the result of this. I go to my math teacher, Mr. Maddox class. I'm sitting there 15 minutes intercom would daniel levengood please come to the office (laughs) i had to pay the penalty the consequence for my actions even though i was innocent enough it was foolish surely not a smart thing to have done but it wasn't i wasn't being malicious there were consequences for my actions because of my actions judgment would come Now I know I'm not the only one who was young and foolish or old and foolish or any other kind of foolish. We have all at times done things in our life that we know we should not have done. And we know that when we get caught for having done it, we will be called to account. We will have to answer for what we've done. Yet there are other times that even as we understand we have to answer for things, the outcome is far different than you would think. Now, I'll tell you, the teacher whose car front windshield got smashed was furious with me. But the response I got from both the principal and my parents was not exactly what I expected. The principal, as I sat there, looked at the teacher and said, you know, it it was really dumb what he did, but he wasn't trying to be malicious. He wasn't trying to be foolish. And yes, there'll be, his parents are going to need to fix your windshield, certainly. And even as my parents came, they said, yes, we'll fix this windshield, certainly. But even my parents looked at me and said, you know, that wasn't very smart what what you did. But I understand you weren't trying to do something bad. And I didn't get grounded. I didn't get spanked. I didn't even have to work off the 
money for the windshield. My parents in this moment showed me mercy and grace that I don't think I deserved necessarily. There are times when the response is not exactly what we think it will be. Sometimes when we deserve judgment, instead we receive mercy and grace that we don't deserve. Last week, as we began looking at the book of Hosea, it was a very downer week, wasn't it? As we talk about the judgment of God coming on the people of Israel, as we see Hosea taking for him, uh, for himself a woman of ill repute, we should say, and having children that have these names bearing judgment. Jezreel, talking about the wrath of God. No mercy, talking about the removal of mercy and not my people. The reversal of this covenant relationship with God. And yet, as is the pattern in Hosea, as we see this message of judgment, we now see this message of mercy. In the face of judgment, God will bring mercy. But even as we get into this, I don't want you for a moment to think that this is exclusively a message of Hosea. Because what is being communicated for us today in the book of Hosea is nothing less than the pattern of the whole of Scripture. We who are a people who are unfaithful to God, who have turned our back on him, who have lived in rebellion against him, deserve fully and rightly his wrath and his judgment. Yet God gives to us grace and mercy. We see it in the garden. Do not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they do. And what does he say? I will send one who is going to reconcile you to myself. We see in a time where in all the world, the hearts of man was wholly wicked all the time. We see mercy given to Noah and his family. And if we look at this, the varied story of the history of Israel, it is nothing less than a pattern of Israel turning away from God and God in response doing what? Showing mercy to his people over and over and over again in scripture, we see this pattern being culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ, where we see the ultimate example of mercy. So as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the promise remembered. We're going to see the promise of a king. And we're going to see the promise of mercy. The promise remembered, the promise of a king, and the promise of mercy. The language in verse 10 begins uh, in a very familiar way. If not for us, it would have certainly been familiar for Hosea's hearers. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured and numbered. This is very typical of the Old Testament language of blessing upon the people of Israel. It is the language that was given to Abraham. From you will come uh, an, a, a descendants that will outnumber the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. There would be many descendants both from Israel and from Judah, but even going far beyond Judah. 
In the previous verses, Hosea had declared judgment. They were children of harlotry. They were not God's people, but now he calls them children of the living God. One commentator, as I was preparing for this, informed me, I did not know this, this may come as a surprise to you, this is the only place in scripture where this moniker is used. Children of the living God. It's something we think of. Now certainly, we, it's very similar to what Peter declares, right? You are the son of the living God. Uh, but this is the only place in all of scripture, and I could stand to be corrected, I'm, I am using a commentator's information, where this is used, children of the living God. It's nothing less than the corporate reversal of the name, not my people. He will look upon them, understanding that they deserve judgment, that they deserve to not be his people, and he will call them children of the living God. So there's two parts of this, right? They get to be called children, and that's precious in and of itself. They get to be called children of God. They get to look upon God, and they get to call him Father. And so we see in the New Testament, we get to cry out, Abba, Father, because he is our good and gracious Father. But we also see not only do they get to be called children, they get to be called children of the living God. We have a God who is living, who is active, who is present. And this is very, stands very much in contrast to like Hosea, Hosea, or not Hosea, excuse me, Elijah. Elijah on the Mount Carmel, as we have the two altars there, one to Baal and one to God. And, you know, Elijah is kind of sitting there and they're all doing their dances and cutting themselves. And what does he taunt him with? He says, oh, he must be sleeping. Right? He says, your God's sleeping. And we see this as a, as a contrast to this. Our God is not sleeping. He is not false. He is the one true living God. Only Yahweh, only the God of Israel is living. And you can imagine as the Israelites heard these words, as they remembered their fathers, their ancestors, and this promise given to them that they would become a great nation, a nation that would exceed the number of grains of sand in the sea, a nation that would come from all the peoples of the earth. They would have heard these words. They would have remembered these words. They would have been encouraged and strengthened by these words. It's a promise that we see continued in Israel, in Moses, under David, in his keeping always for himself a remnant, even through the divided kingdom. But it's a promise that we see its ultimate fulfillment in Christ himself. Through Jesus, all the nations of the world are blessed. And so Christ calls him Father, He is his Father. He is his God. And he enables us to do the same, that we can be called children, and he is our Father. That's why we can pray today, our Father, who art in heaven. He is our Father. We are his children. We are his sons, and we are his daughters. And it's 
really an amazing reversal. As we looked and we began Hosea last week, we talked about how startlingly, startlingly hard it was. Hosea, you're going to be my prophet, but you're going to go marry a prostitute. And your three children are going to be signs of judgment on the people of God. And we, in, right on the heels of that message, right on the heels of it, we have a declaration of mercy. It's a great reversal. We who are enemies of God have been made close to him so that we can call him father. It's the most personal relationship we can have. It emphasizes the fact that we have a living God who cares for us. He cares for us with the concern of a father. A father who takes care of our needs, who provides for us, who is concerned with our hurts. This is the God that we have. But he only doesn't only reverse our status before him. He reverses our leadership. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. And they shall appoint for themselves one head. This is a prophecy of a restored kingdom. You have to remember at this point that Judah and Israel are separate. But he's saying they're going to come together again. They're going to have one head, a unified king. This head will descend from David. It's a prophetic hope for the future. We're all people. will be under this one head and they shall go up. They shall be gathered together. And they shall appoint for them, oh, excuse me, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Last week we talked about how Jezreel and Israel are very similar. It's a play on words that Hosea is making here. And last week we talked about how Jezreel meant judgment, but now it means blessing. If you remember, last week I told you Jezreel meant God sows. And basically what it's saying is, Great will be the day of God's sowing. He will sow for himself a people. Israel will flourish in the land. In this land where they were called the people of God. And again, we see here, even as we saw the mercy and grace and the being called children is fulfilled in Christ, this is also fulfilled in Christ. He is the one who comes as the true head and king of the people of God. Israel's kings failed miserably. Over and over and over and over again, they failed miserably. And we have to really go all the way back to King David to find anyone who we can go, well, he was okay, I guess. And even in David, we're left with what? Oh, well, he lusted after a woman as he watched her bathe on the roof. He killed her, or he slept with her. Then he killed her husband so that he wouldn't be found out. That's the, probably the best example of a king we can come up with. There were others. Josiah was a good king, too. <coughs> 
But the kings of Israel were deeply flawed. Even David, who is God, a man after God's own heart, was marked by sin. But Christ comes and fulfills this perfect role of king, not as a conquering king, but as a one who comes in service, who comes and lays down his life for his people. Here's the thing we have to remember about Old Testament prophecies. We can tend to isolate them into their moment, but they're really all pointing to something so much more. They model for us the insufficient nature of life without Christ. We cannot be faithful to the law. We cannot be faithful to God in ourselves. We need one who would come and do all that we could not do. This one who would come as king in the line of David, but be so much more than David. He would not carry the deficiencies or the sin of David. He would be perfect in every way. The spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lord and ruler of all. And so as the nation is restored, as they have their one true king as over them, we see a restoration of mercy. God has promised mercy. Hosea here continues to show us this theme of reversal. The children are now to be addressed. He says, you are my people. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. And this is, in essence, just a reversal of names. Because these were the two names, two of the names from last week, right? He said, you will be called not my people, and you will be called no mercy. And he says, now you are my people, and you, are, you have received mercy. Yahweh, the God of Israel, intends to save his people. They will cry out in mercy. And Yahweh will overcome their failures. And the message of mercy is one that we can never, ever forget. We were not God's people. We were lovers of this world. We were lovers of self. We cared for nothing or we cared nothing for the holiness of God. And this is where he comes to us. He comes to us as those who do not care for him. He comes to us in our weakness, in our wickedness, in our rebellion. And he calls us mercy. He says, you will be mercy. You will be my people, not because what you have done, but because of what I have done. This is done through the blood of his one and only son. This is the ultimate sign of God's mercy upon us in the mercy that we see through Jesus Christ, that through him, through Jesus on the cross, as he lived the perfect sinless life, and yet there bore the weight of our sins, gives us reconciliation with our God in heaven. We are made the people of God. The New Testament says, as we, in the same theme, that he has come for all 
the nations. He has come for all the people. So now there is no more Jew. There is no more Gentile. We are left the people of God. And if we are the people of God, if that's who we are, then we must live as the people of God. This is the problem with Israel. They were called my people. God called them my people. And yet they continually, over and over and over again, wanted to be like everybody else. This is what they were doing when they asked for a king. They said, God, okay, we know that you're, you've been ruling over us, and that's all well and good. But we want to be like the nations. Give us a king. In their asking for a king, they were basically asking for God not to no longer be their ruler. It was an arrogant and prideful thing. They lived in rebellion. And judgment had come upon them. But if we are his, if we can call God our father, then we must live as if he is indeed our God. He is the only one we give allegiance to. He is the only one that we are to worship. He is the only one who can dictate for us how we are to live. Are we living as if we are the people of God? If you claim Christ then you are God's people. As God's people, you represent your head. Are you living for him? Are you conforming your lives to his standard? Are you seeking to live a life of faith and obedience? Or do we need to be concerned with the judgment that is coming? If he has given us his grace, if he has given us his mercy, if he has looked on us and said, if I do this by the book, I can nail you to the wall. But that's not what I'm going to do. I am going to give you mercy through my son. Are we living as people, as the people of God? As we live the Christian life, as we come before God, we must not forget his promises. Because let me tell you something, there is not one thing that God has ever promised that he has failed in delivering. All that he has said he will do, he will surely do. He will make his people more numerous than the sands of the sea. And let me say this, you are the partial fulfillment of that. If you are in Christ, you are the fulfillment of his promise. But he will also never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has given to you a king. And here's the reality. All rulers of this earth will fail you. All kings, all presidents, all prime ministers, whatever head you have, dictators, whatever else, they will all fail you. Every last one of them. But Christ the King will never fail you. He will never fail you. He comes as one who loves us sacrificially, as one who reigns on high, as one who reigns over a kingdom that will never come to an end. And this King, Christ Jesus himself, has promised 
to give you mercy. As we come in faith and repentance, he has promised that he will give us something that we do not deserve. While we are his enemies, we are shown grace and mercy. He has satisfied the wrath of God. He has called us his people. We have been adopted into his family. We have been made sons and daughters. We have been brought into the fellowship of believers. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a son or daughter of God? And if your answer at this point is yes, if this is your position before him, then live as children of the living God. Live as children of the living God, understanding our position before him, that he has done everything and we have done nothing. All we have done is received his mercy and his grace. And brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the message of the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is this. We who are enemies of God, by no virtue in, our, in and of ourselves, receive grace and mercy because of the unmerited love of our Father as provided for us through the love of the Son and applied to us, just to go full circle, by the love of the Spirit. This is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel that we who do not deserve grace and mercy, we who deserve judgment and wrath have been given grace and mercy. That he is providing for us all that we need. That he has provided for us the one head, the king, our savior, Jesus Christ. And that when God comes to sow, great will be that day. Great is the day when Jesus comes again and we see the full harvest of the people of God brought in. Let us live for that day. Let us conform and shape our lives after Jesus, our head and our king. Not just once a day, once a week, not just twice a week, but all our days conforming and living for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the message of grace and mercy as provided for us in your word. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would strengthen us according to this word, that we would be, that we would indeed live as children of the living God. We ask all this in his holy and precious name. Amen.